You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. 2 Timothy 2 verses 22 through 26 in the Christian Standard Bible read flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord from a pure heart but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels the lord's servant must not quarrel but must be gentle to everyone able to teach and patient instructing his opponents with gentleness perhaps god will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In this section of scripture, the writer just finished explaining the importance of avoiding fights about words and to prioritize instead the message that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. After condemning a group of people for preaching a false message about the resurrection, the author writes the above scripture. In context of this, how does this section of scripture teach us to disagree better, Pete? Um, well, you know, here's the thing great passage right teaching us to just prioritize i think unity over having to be correct maybe something like that but my when i hear that passage my mind immediately goes to the fact that paul does his own share of quarreling so the question is you know with anything in the bible it's what is it meaning in its context what is it after there how is that applicable to certain situations and I think it is applicable. I think it's more applicable than quarreling passages. Um, you know, I have enough friends who, uh, and I do mean friends, who see themselves as sort of Paul and their job is to fight, right? Um, and I think we have to be careful not to overindulge certain passages. And that even includes the one we're looking at here, because for some people, it's like never disagree openly about anything. Don't ever debate things, right? And I'm not sure that's helpful either. So. Um, so that was entirely unhelpful to your question, but that's my answer. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a perfect answer okay. for this particular series. Yeah, good. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite series on the Whole Church Podcast, where your favorite Unity Podcast gets into controversy. Today, we are doing the first full episode of our controversial Unity series. Um, It's an episode we had planned before we started this series because we were like, you know what? We need to talk about inerrancy. And who better to talk about it with than uh, the one and only Pete Inns. Um, Some of my favorite uh, hermeneutic books were written by him. Some of the big changes I made to my own beliefs came from Pete. And um, he actually did a book we're going to talk about later on with uh, some other people, uh, four different views of biblical inerrancy. And they disagreed. I would say they disagreed well in that book. And we're going to talk about how to disagree about biblical inerrancy, regardless of what side you're on. I think it's important that we learn to do it well. So that's going to be today's thing. And as I mentioned, we're here with the one and only Pete Inns. Pete, thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. And of course, we couldn't do this without the, the star of the show, um, the, the man with the golden tongue, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. TJ, welcome to your show. Thanks. I, I thought you were going to introduce the cat in Pete's lap. You know, if I knew the cat's name, I would have. That's, that's Marmalade, <laughs> who uh, senses anytime I'm in front of a camera. 
and she just has to be involved in it. So she knows I'm trapped. I can't go anywhere. So she sits on my lap and she knows I'm gonna get, and I'm not gonna get up for an hour. So wow, yeah, welcome to my life. You think inerrancy is an issue? This is the issue. This cat is the issue. That's that's the issue. Of my yeah. Life. Yeah. No, Early on funny. in our podcast days, my cat always knew when we were recording because that's when he wanted to use his litter box directly behind me <laughs> and be as loud as possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd be surprised yeah. if this cat doesn't meow at some point, but that's just, you know, perfect. Adds to the production. That's his value. amen. Her name is Marmalade, <laughs> huh? That's her uh, amen. Yeah, that's know? her amen, right? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. She's just in, yeah. in agreement. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, go ahead and check out our. Uh, Anazal Ministries Podcast Network website. It is below for shows like ours that are, you know, friends with us or not. Uh, there's also a paid <laughs> subscription for the network on Apple Podcast. It will be on YouTube soon where you can get extra content for all the shows on the network, including this one. And uh, hang out with us in our Discord. Uh, the link is in the notes. It's fun. You can pester us. You can bother us. You can disagree with us publicly. It's a great time. Yeah, get controversial. I think yeah, that's the most moral. plugs you've ever done. Like you usually just pick one. And today you were feeling generous with three. So today, uh, as always, we're going to start with uh, my favorite form of unity. But since TJ and I already answered this question in the intro to the series that we haven't recorded yet, that's getting mad for you. But <laughs> oh god, uh, we're going to throw this one to Pete. Uh, we might still throw in commentary. Who knows? But uh, Pete, uh, my favorite form of unity, silliness. We got to start with a silly question. And the one for this series, we're asking everybody, what is the silliest argument you ever remember having? Yeah, it took me about two seconds to think of this one. Um, <laughs> it goes back a lot of years, though. This is even before I started seminary. So this is like the early 80s. And um, it actually came up in a certain context, whether it's biblical to go to the circus or not. And this Wait, is, you know, I'm in my early 20s. I haven't really, I wasn't really thinking deep theological thoughts at that time of my life. But I thought to myself, that might be the silliest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> That's and one, guy, and one guy goes like, well, there are several, several theories on that. I, said, I don't think there's a single theory on that. <laughs> or several, several <laughs> biblical ways of looking at the circus. I mean, let's talk about, oh, well, anyway. That's a book I'd read, though. Several biblical ways of looking at the circus. Is it biblical? Is it biblical oh. too? And then you yeah. pick something that? that has no connection with antiquity whatsoever in any way, shape, yeah. or form. So, is that what yeah. got the Ringling Bros shut down? You know, I wonder. I wonder if that's their punishment for not being biblical oh, about their circus. Yeah, yeah, must be. I don't know. I uh, one can only guess. One of my favorite, just random stories. So the denomination TJ and I came from at one point was i would say crazy strict i i don't want to offend anybody but yeah you know, there were a lot of rules that we they don't adhere to anymore that i'm like i close my mind was a thing one of them was um bowling bowling was uh sinful you couldn't go bowling sure obviously and my my dad was part of the new you know hip rebellious christians that did bowl okay and he went preaching at my mom's church when he was an evangelist and uh, my grandpa was like, man, if he could preach like that, maybe bowling is OK. And uh, bowling <laughs> became my grandfather's favorite pastime. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great denomination. I'm so glad I don't have stories like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you don't either. <laughs> yeah. My, my grandma went from that church to now she's 80 years old with her own ball and shoes. And she loves to bowl. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember when uh, wedding bands became allowed. So many people were so excited. 
Yeah. Really? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. Weird. It happened in my lifetime. It's just strange. What kind of a what kind of a show yeah. am I on here? You guys are just weird. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, we're just reminiscing now. Is that it? Okay. He's Lutheran now. <laughs> <clears throat> so in our controversial unity series, we're gonna put every guest in the hot seat. We're gonna run it through as many of the following questions. Uh, some are theological, some are just pop culture, as we can in five minutes. Just five minutes. Okay. I'm just gonna pick one randomly, answer it, move on. Uh, to try and find your hottest takes on or most controversial opinions. Are you ready? Sure. Uh, what is one thing you thought you would never like that you later came to enjoy? Oh, broccoli. I saw oh, yeah. that. Re- that started about a year ago. I'm 63. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't touch the stuff, but I said, it might as well not die. So I I'm decided to eat some green things, and then there I am. So, and I, But I think I have to fry it up like crazy and put all sorts of crap on it, and then I can eat it. But at least it's still broccoli. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, do you have a least favorite Bible verse? Oh, yeah, I guess. But I have to explain why, because I'm going to get people mad at me. That's okay. People get mad at me sometimes. But, you know, First Timothy 2, what, 11 to 12, about don't let women speak and... Be in, learn in silence and things like that. And the thing is that, I, like contextually, I don't care. I mean, you can see contextually there there might be reasons for that, but the grounding of this in the Adam and Eve story is what annoys the heck out of me. Because here, Eve is the problem, right? And especially for those, and there are many who who think that Paul probably wrote First Timothy and also the Book of Romans. In Romans, it's all Adam. Right. So like, dude, just pick your theme here and just stick with it. And so I just it 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 it, it annoys me how how um, creatively, let's say, the Adam and Eve story is used to make a point that the story itself, I think, is not making. Mm-hmm. That's called Midrash. Yeah. And the New Testament does that, as do other Jewish texts at the time. But still, it's just like and I think because, in my opinion, the the, the harm that it's caused that. You know, it's it's not just his opinion. He's grounding it in the creation mandate. But is he, though? <laughs> or is he reading <laughs> that into the creation story? That's really the issue. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. So cool. what is one theological doctrine you've changed your mind about over the years? Might be better to go with what haven't I changed my mind on in the years. I did think about that. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> The easy one to say would be inerrancy, since that's the topic, but I was never really an inerrantist the way a lot of people think of inerrancy anyway. I don't think I was a very good inerrantist when I was one. But probably I would say, because of my my theological background, probably the big one is the role of women in the life of the church. That's that's changed significantly over the past, I'd say, 20 years from before. And before, I wasn't like adamantly against it. I just sort of assumed it because everybody else said that. Um, but that's probably one of the biggest changes. And along with that, um, LGBTQ plus and that very complex issue, but uh, looking at people as full human beings, really, and, and not less than. So th- those are probably two issues. It's really a treatment of people, I'd say. Mm. Uh, do you like the movie Titanic? <laughs> okay. I may have no? been the only person in my orbit that would say yes. Oh, okay. But I need to, ex- wow. I need to explain <laughs> that. I'm getting very defensive here with these questions. Um, I, what I liked about the movie is that I think it brought out the emotion of that whole experience. That's, that's really why I liked it. It was like, 
you know, obviously it's dramatized and things like that, but they, they stuck to the heart of the story itself historically. And they brought out, I think, the fear and the resignation to death things like that so I, I i like that that emotional component yeah it is fantastic uh is jesus more important than the bible yes next question what is the <laughs> best music uh almost anything from 1967 through i'm gonna i'm gonna allow 1980 but basically 70s oh, I, music except so for like the almond brothers yeah or yeah. kansas All right. or fleetwood mac or boston or you know, i could go on and on Epic. Uh, so, what's one hot take you have about a cartoon that we might have grown up with? <clears throat> a cartoon that you might have grown up with? Um, I was a huge Simpsons fan, and I still am indirectly. I don't know if you guys. Grew- I don't know. I can't tell ages anymore. Yeah. I'm getting too old. But The Simpsons was a yep. big one. Um, I also like South Park. I'm sorry. It's just hilarious the writing and yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I mean, I grew oh, up with things lots. like Bugs Bunny. Even though Bugs Bunny was already um, done by the time I was born, it was like that was running on syndication all the time. Rocky and Bullwinkle and stuff like that. I just, those are funny too. That's a good one. Yeah, I love those cartoons. All right. Uh, we we did reach our five-minute time limit, but uh, did you ever see the live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle movie? No, I didn't. I should. I know. I should. I will. My Thank parents you. despised that. That's when they stopped letting me pick movies was after I made them watch that when I was a kid. <laughs> it's been around for a while then, huh? I guess, you know. I it's I been a while. Yeah. Okay. I will uh, thank you, though, for that recommendation because I have nothing else to do right now in my life. I'm going to go check out that movie. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. I think Perfect. it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, before you. we get into anything else, um, just kind of straightforward, could you or would you mind sharing with us your beliefs kind of concerning inerrancy and your journey coming to where you are now in this doctrine? Um, I guess inerrancy itself was sort of an inherited belief, not from my parents, but just I had a conversion experience in high school in a fairly conservative church. And um, a lot of my church background, even through seminary, was in a, in a fairly conservative denomination, the PCA, Presbyterian Church. Um, and so it's something that I just, by default, I never really probed it very much. It's just sort of by default. But I think what started changing it, and I hate the way this sounds because people are going to think it sounds really arrogant, and I don't mean it that way. I just started paying really close attention to the Bible. And I began to see, in both Testaments, I began to see, I'm not sure if an errancy actually explains the Bible or if it's something we put onto the Bible that has to be explained and defended. And that's probably the big shift for me in that. And and what certainly fueled that was uh, graduate school and doing doctoral work. And and it didn't take long, where, you know, I the, the issue of like you know, Abraham's story or the Exodus and things like that. It's not like is it an errant? It's more did it happen? You know, there there are whole different lists of questions that were being asked that I thought were extremely. Um, viable questions. They're not just made up because people feel like doubting the Bible. There are things about the text and about the stories that actually raise questions in and of themselves. And I guess that's that's what I found to be very, very true, that it's not that inerrancy doesn't work because of outside factors intruding onto the Bible. It's the Bible itself that has stories in it that don't align very well with each other, that 
seem to strain credulity. And I don't mean resurrection or anything like that. I just mean other kinds of stories in the Bible that's just like, it sounds like a story to me. It doesn't sound like anything really happened. So um, that's that's probably the, the journey. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter to me if people are inerrantists. I, do, I mean, I don't lose sleep over it. I'm not trying to change their minds. But I know people have really struggled with the nature of Christian faith because of it. And and to me, that's that's more where I get my hackles up when I try to point out another way of thinking about these things. Yeah. I'm going to try not to do this in every episode of the series. But for this, uh, I, I just I think it's relevant. Personally, I, there was a time where I was just going through some difficult things. And just me being me, I really didn't want to believe in God or this whole Christian thing at all. Mm hmm. And I, I kind of made it my mission to read the Bible enough that I could find the things that are wrong so that I didn't have to believe it. Mm -hmm. And really, ironically, during that time is when I found one of your books, How the Bible Actually Works or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that going, oh, wait, rather than needing to drop this whole thing, maybe I just need to rethink this whole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was really ironic. I found it at the time that I was trying to find these things that are inconsistent. I was like, oh, here they are. And then here's a book telling me why they're there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's man. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, duh. It's not like, oh, I found this thing. It's like sometimes you see things on social media. I found this thing in the Bible that doesn't make sense. I'm like, go to seminary for five minutes and you can be talking about this stuff all over the place, right? The question yeah. is, you're, I mean, the way you're putting it is, is um, your whole approach to it. In other words, taking a step back and mm -hmm. saying, maybe my whole paradigm is one that is not helpful, right? So when yeah. people say, I mean, I, I, again, I have conservative friends and they say things like, so you're not an inerrantist, right? Well, that makes you an errantist. Ha, 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 gotcha. And I'm saying, well, no, I, I don't even accept the categories you're talking. It's, it's, it's a category error to sort of divide things this way into error or not error. It's more what is, what is the nature of the text itself? And you know, in that book you just mentioned, how the Bible actually works. I'm not going to go on and on about this, but I talk about properties of the Bible, like its diversity is an absolute core property of of the Hebrew Bible and of the New Testament itself. It's it's ancient, which means it speaks a language that's not just a literal language, but the cultures are different from ours. And the Bible is incredibly ambiguous. I mean, even things that I believe, like God is love, I strongly believe that it's the foundation of my theology. What do you mean by God? What do you mean by love? And what do you mean by is? Right? Th those are those are there are ambiguities in language, inherent in language that we have that gives us a chance to sort of explore these things and try to figure them out. So you know, it's 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 the the problem is that it's a category error in my opinion to let that be like. What's your starting point here? And we'll go from there. And for me, a non-inerrantist position is not a starting point. It's a conclusion that I've drawn on the basis of partly reading the text itself, but also some other factors surrounding the book text and the biblical world. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of already touched on the importance on one side of this, of sometimes this inerrancy question actually inhibits people from understanding and believing this whole Christian thing, I guess is what I'm, I don't, I don't know how to word this. Um, on the other side, those who really uphold the inerrancy doctrine, why do you think they believe this is such an important doctrine? I can only speak, you know, from my own experience of being in that world when I was in seminary and as a professor for a while. Um, I can't speak for everybody, but my my sense is it's important philosophically, right? If the Bible is not inerrant, 
then we don't have an objective guide to history or to morality. And if we don't have that, then we don't know anything about what to believe. And then God is not watching over us, right? So I, I think those are the reasons. So I don't think that people are inerrantists, in my opinion, I guess I've never come across someone who says, I'm an inerrantist because I've started from scratch and looking at this text and saying, this is the only conclusion I could come to. I think that's more of a, of a psychological and sociological factor. And, I, and to say that I'm not demeaning that because we're all psychological and social beings, you know, I mean, not including myself, yeah. but it's more the tribe that you belong to. If they value something, you're going to tend to hold on to it. And that even happens on the, on the scholarly level. I mean, I know scholars I respect who are inerrantists, but they didn't come to their position because of their analysis of the text. They brought that into the analysis of the text and they can sort of midrashically defend it now, you know, on the basis of that. Um, but, you know, hey, the world keeps turning, you know. <laughs> yeah. The Yankees are looking better this season. I don't know. It's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> We're fine. Yeah. So uh, how sure are you of your belief on inerrancy? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it, I mean, that, that's, I have to say, that's my position. Am I open? Yeah, of course I'm open. I have to, if I'm not open, what am I, you know, uh, to, to thinking differently about things if I have reasons for it. But the, the, the notion that the Bible is free of error, um, is a difficult one for me to argue positively for because I think starting in the first two chapters of the Bible, we have a problem with that. And mm -hmm. now some will define error differently. There's, there's a more fundamentalist view, which is like scientifically, historically, every single line makes sense. If there's a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. It's in your head. You have a sinful mind and you can't see things. And one day you'll see how it all fits together. And there are others who are, I would say, are more sophisticated inerrantists, but they take into account things like genre and history. But I think at some point you get you get to a place where you're not really an inerrantist, then are you? You're you're, you're using the language, and I think the 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 um, the push to use the language again is uh, the discomfort of a paradigm shift because you're pastoring someplace or teaching someplace and you can't really let go of it because you can get into trouble. And I don't minimize that because I felt that I understand that feeling. I understand staying in a community when deep down, you know, something's not right, but it just is there's so much at stake that you, you lose in terms of friendships, in terms of just your social setting and income and things like that. Um, so, but I, I do think that there are ranges of inerrancy for people. I mean, I have good friends of mine who are still inerrantists, but we agree on about half the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, they can incorporate <laughs> half the weird stuff, maybe not all of it, but at least half of it. And so we can have certain kinds of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as is the case, a lot of disagreements when you're talking about like theology or philosophy or anything like that, there's very seldomly just two sides. Mm hmm. You know, there's a lot of nuance and people are, well, I'm inerrancy, but this, this and this. Or, you know, as we talked to Thomas Ward a lot, there's uh, I believe in omnipotence, but this, this and this. Right. So, you know, I think everybody kind of on a lot of these issues more falls on a spectrum than anything. I think that's true. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, you can lean more towards one or the other. But, um, you know, as long as you don't close things off, in ter I think in terms of relationships, you know, if you don't if you don't close yeah. these things off, that to me, that's a whole different conversation than what do you believe about the Bible? Which a little bit gets into the next question. Um, 
you I mentioned earlier, uh, which there's several reasons I wanted you on the podcast. You know, some of my favorite books. Uh, he's host of one of my favorite uh, Bible podcasts, the Bible for normal people. Um, but you wrote a book or you wrote a book. You were part of a book project. I don't know how to word that with uh, Dr. Al Mohler and mm-hmm. a few other people on four different views of inerrancy. So, you know, not just inerrancy or not inerrancy. There's four different views represented. Um, I think the idea was Dr. Moeller was like the far conservative inerrant and you were supposed to be the the most progressive on the issue. I don't know if that was how they worded it or anything like that. I think that but was he the was intention. one that helped with the most. That was yeah. the intention, I think. Yeah. 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 But uh, for sure, he held to it the most and you held to it the least. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, which it's interesting because, I, you know, I, I believe Al Mohler is a Christian. I just I struggle with a lot of things he says mm-hmm. personally. Um, but you were able to work on a project with him and a bunch of other people and respectfully engage on this topic. And, you know, not always agree, obviously, but right. you were respectfully <laughs> engaging. Um, could you let us know what it was like working on this project? Like, how were you able to do this? And was there any, you know, bumps or was it just kind of smooth sailing through this? Well, I mean, I think it was respectful, uh, but also pointed at times, which I think is part of yeah. the intellectual game that we play. And I, I mean that positively, not negatively. Um, so how was it? The thing is, you know, we were never in the same room together, you know, so yeah. it's in that sense, it's easy. Like I'm not like <laughs> arguing with anybody directly or calling them names. It's, you know, we have an essay to write and then responding to others. And I think I, I had tremendous frustration uh, over things that uh, Al Mohler said about the Bible that I think are uh, just time bombs waiting to explode in people's laps at some point when they dig a little bit deeper on things. But um, there wasn't any animosity in the, in, in these uh, responses that we had in the book. And it wasn't because they were edited out, but because uh, what does that do? And we did have um, a, uh, a session at the meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society back around when that book came out, which I think it was around 2015 or so, something around there, maybe 14. Um, it's been a while, yeah. And that was fine. You know, um, it's a sort of an artificial atmosphere because many of the people there were sort of leaning towards Al Mohler anyway, or at least yeah. maybe Michael Bird or, or Kevin Van Hooser, who I would call more like soft inerrantists. They, they understand the hermeneutical and philosophical issues involved in it, but they still hold to it in some sense. Although Michael in a British way, <laughs> which is different than, <laughs> than America, it is, it is very different. And, um, and Kevin Moore in a, a Trinity Evangelical Divinity School kind of way. And uh, so, it was great, though. I mean, we, we had a good time talking about it and you know, no one tried to kill each other. And and that's that's probably pretty good, you know. But the thing is that he, we didn't try to kill each other, but we don't have the power to kill each other either. <laughs> See, if I were in the Southern Baptist Convention, there were people there, Al Moore, one of them who have the power to quote kill me, right? And that yes. that's I think that's where the rubber hits the road. It's it's when you have the power, not when you're forced to engage with people, but when you have the power, what do you do with people you disagree with strongly? Mm. Yeah. And I'm glad yeah. I don't have any power. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I know this is, I guess, more of a technical thing. Having read and listened to the audiobook, this is one of the few times where I, I highly recommend people listen to the audiobook version of that book hmm. because, uh, you know, er, at least you and Al Mohler already have podcast stuff. So the voices sound really nice. Mm-hmm. But whenever you get to, um, I forget the gentleman's name, the, the English scholar, that you Michael mentioned. Bird. 
Yeah, yeah. it's just so interesting because all of a sudden, like accent, dialect, everything changes. And you're like, this is, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what other stances are there on this issue? Well, I, I'd say that, um, for example, I mean, Michael Bird, I would, I would express his position as something like the word inerrancy is used, but he's more of like a general infallibilist kind of guy. Like the Bible doesn't lead you astray or things like that. Um, and that's a different kind of inerrancy than Genesis has to be history. I mean, I'm pretty sure Michael doesn't think Genesis 1 is how the cosmos was created, yeah. but he would still say it's an inerrant text or it's an infallible text. My question then is infallible for what exactly? Like, what do you mean? Like, what just, well, God wrote it, so it's infallible, but for what? You know, I mean, some would say for uh, binary views of human sexuality, male and female, that's it. There's no in between. Well, there are no amphibians either in Genesis chapter one. So what do we, what do we make of that? You know, there's no in between kinds of creatures. So that's the question I always come back to, you know, and, and Kevin, who I, and I greatly respect, I respect both of these guys. Um, you know, Kevin, a, a pretty standard line, I think he uses that it's whatever is expressly set down and or quote taught in scripture is inerrant, which, okay, but what's taught? What, what is a teaching of the Bible? And Al Mora would say, great, so you believe in the literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. And he would have a good point because it says day, morning and evening. It's, there's no question it's meant to be literal days because it's part of, forgive me, the priestly theology of Sabbath week, and it's, it's instituted there in Genesis chapter 1. That's, that's how I read it anyway. And so I, I, there's a lot – there are there – are, um, TJ, there, there are different ways of articulating an inherent disposition that I would say is on a spectrum, but somewhere along that spectrum, I haven't really bothered to try to figure out exactly where it is, but somewhere in that spectrum from Al Mohler on one side and let's say a crazy person like me on the other side, somewhere on that path, you're going to find Kevin Van Hooser or Michael Burt or John Frankie, who's progressive in his own way in that book. But at some point, you're going to cross the line and say, you just can't use the word inerrancy anymore, right? And I would bet Al would feel that way maybe about people like Michael Bird or Kevin Van Hooser. You know, I, it's been a while since I read the book. It's, it came out a few years ago. But um, yeah. So there, there are perspectives. And I, I really am careful when I'm talking about this in some like social media or something, I try not to give the impression that the only kind of inerrantist is the worst kind. Yeah. Right. Because there's some who who feel strongly about it, I think I'd like to give him a couple nudges. To, to think, can I just push you a little further? Because I think you're inconsistent on this or the other thing. But that's that's fine though. You know, it's just that's not. I don't live to do that. It's just sort of like I think part of the academic discourse of having disagreements and challenging each other. Yeah, one of the um, the more interesting things, and I don't think he was trying to do it disrespectfully. I think he was just being pointed and maybe honest. I remember Al Mohler a lot of his criticisms of the other people in the book were, well, you're not really an Aaron if you're saying that. Yeah. And I thought what was interesting was at one point he complimented you kind of backhanding the yeah. other two. At least he's honest. <laughs> yeah. He said, at least he's honest about it. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, I see. I think so too. I agree with that. I, I think there's something to yeah. that. It, it, that doesn't contradict what I just said about a spectrum, but I think, mm -hmm. I think an errancy really means something. Um, but see, here's yeah. the funny thing. It's, it's um, back, you know, the 19th century, you have people like B.B. Warfield. 
and Charles Hodge and before him Archibald Alexander Hodge. And like, I'm trying to remember what book it is. It might be uh, Warfield's book and inspiration, but he and, and one of the Hodges there talk about the Bible's really human. It's so fallible. They even use the word, there are errors in it. And these guys are inheritists. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, we can have a great conversation. I'd love to know exactly <laughs> what you mean by that. But, you know, um, and, and I think Al would say they're not being honest with how they're using the term. But I can see these people saying, no, you've co-opted the term to mean something that learned yeah. people just don't ever think. Like the Bible has no problems in it, you know, but just read it. Yeah. Which again, not trying to be disrespectful towards anyone, but I do think a lot of people in Al Mohler's camp kind of equate inerrancy to literalism right. or literalists, right. which isn't the same thing. Um, my example I like to point to, even though I think I'm probably more progressive in the inerrancy spectrum than he is um, or was Tim Keller. Mm hmm. Um, I always thought it was interesting how he was definitely inerrant, but he was very good at saying certain parts of scripture are different genres. And he's like, Genesis 1, that's clearly poetic. Right. Why would I believe that as a literal history when it's a poem? Right. And I'm like, okay. And that's one where I'm like, he was definitely on that inerrancy side, mm -hmm. but I feel like in a lot more of a well-thought-out, nuanced kind of way that I, I appreciate. Well, trying to leave open uh, some doors for conversation, you know, um, yeah. and – you know, of course, I would agree with him on that. Um, but then they said, well, what about Genesis 2 and 3? Well, that's not poetic. It's narrative. Therefore, it's history. But does everything narrative have to be historical? I mean, pick any novel you want that's a narrative that's made up, right? So the, the, the genre <laughs> – see, the thing is there, there, are, there are different kinds of ways of talking about genre. There is the, let's say, literary genre, poetry versus narrative. But you also have things like folklore. Or myth. I mean, those are different ways of thinking about what a genre even is. And I think that gets sidestepped sometimes in that conversation. I think with Tim, it got sidestepped with that conversation because, okay. yeah, you're right. It's poetic. Like the Psalms are poetic. We don't take, you know, the Lord is not a shepherd. That's a metaphor. We know that, right? But narratives use metaphors. Narratives use all sorts of things. So, you know, we're still back to that same question of, what reasons do we have for referring to this thing we're reading here as being inerrant? And while we're at it, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by an inerrant text? And for me, it's such a hopelessly convoluted discussion. I just, I, I would rather just drop the categories and say, I don't think they should be determining how we talk about the nature of scripture. Yeah, definitely. I am. Um, I personally, which I think this will be our listeners like side project. They need to look up the definition of myth because it doesn't mean false or fiction. But I think you have a hard time once you understand myth and comparing it to other myths, thinking at least Genesis 1 through 11 isn't a myth. It's a, it's a hard statement to make when you've really kind of studied that. It, it's hard. I mean, again, this is uh, – there are people I know listening – listening who would take issue with this and I respect it. But I'd like to say mm -hmm. it anyway. I think once you've studied scripture – as a historical phenomenon, I don't mean the events, I just mean the literature as a historical phenomenon. It's very, very hard to come away from that being a literalist. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're not literal about some things, but Genesis 1 to 11, it's just Atrahasis, Enuma Elish, yeah. Gilgamesh. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, I think that's why this is my last note on it. I think I love C.S. Lewis so much growing up, what I didn't realize. And there's still a lot of things I don't agree with C.S. Lewis about. But you could tell that he was a um, 
a literary scholar first and a Bible scholar second. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. some some of his takes, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what it looks like when you understand literature and look right. at this thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we're asking every guest to try their best to make the best argument against their own position. So <laughs> if you had to make an argument for inerrancy, how would that go? Um. Come on, guys. What's it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it is hard. I mean, I could make – I could answer that question about a whole lot of issues. I'm telling you, it's hard for yeah. me to make a case for inerrancy that is rooted in the text. I can make a um, sort of an emotional or or psychological argument for it saying that inerrancy gives us a standard that we can hold to for matters of – doctrine and of faith mm-hmm. but that's only in the abstract that's only from a distance i think when you when you read texts and you ask I me mean, you start with the first I mentioned first timothy 2 and one of the questions you asked me right away it raises questions about other texts right and so i yeah. i really think the heart of all this is dialoguing with the text and even interrogating it and that's part of what i learned from from my jewish professors and mm-hmm. it's it's hard for me. It really, I, I don't mind saying this. It isn't like I'm right about everything. How dare you argue with me? I just cannot yeah. see a good reason to say the Bible has to be inerrant and here is how it works. So yeah. you can so, kick me off the show now if you want to because I can't answer <laughs> your – your very good question. I think it's a good question. I just – I can't answer it. Yeah. Mm. So I mean I guess then you'd say the main reason you don't buy into the arguments against your side is the Bible. The Bible – is that – will you say the best ar- – reason not to believe in inerrancy would then be the Bible itself? I think the Bible raises all the questions we need to yeah. question inerrancy. I think science and anthropology and other things, psychology, other things will add to that. Um, but I think the Bible itself is enough. And, and, and people have always been questioning things and coming to certain conclusions that are not inerrantist and going back to ever since there's been a Bible, you know, um, the, the notion – I mean one thing I would like to at least comment on is that you know, people say inerrancy has always been the doctrine of the church. I mean Al Mohler talks like this. So that's patently false. That's, 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 you cannot document that. And even if they use words like without error, that they're still not using the word without error the way we use it today in a modern sort of post-enlightenment context. But even Augustine said, you got to have a screw loose. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he had very strong words about reading Genesis 1 literally. Pretty sure said, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> he said, you have a screw loose. <laughs> you have a screw loose. You're, you're crazy. You know? and, and, you know, Luther, of course, thought that oh, um, yeah. James should be thrown into the Elbe River in, in, in uh, Germany. And, <laughs> and uh, Calvin didn't think Peter wrote Second Peter. So the heroes of the wow. faith, I mean, he's not the only one. That tradition goes back to the early church. Yeah. But I just find it's like the, the conversation. I, I think the Bible functions as the authority of the church best when we engage it in mm-hmm. conversation in our context and being in conversation with past contexts that have interpreted the Bible in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And also going back to the original and not so much as the, the touchstone to tell us what the right answer is, but asking what are they struggling with that they would write something like this, which is my question yeah. for First Timothy chapter two. What's the context? And people have written about this, you know. So, to, to me, it becomes then a, actually a vital source 
of of um, giving us language and structure for the life of faith. And in that sense, I have yeah. tremendous respect. for. I, I keep teaching it and writing about it. I clearly have something going on here <laughs> with this book. I just don't think I, the whole inerrancy thing, it just, it, it distracts me from actually doing that kind of work because then I'm only an apologist at that point. I'm not an exegete. I'm, an, I'm not a theologian. I'm an apologist. Yeah. All right. So clearly there's a lot of a great, you know, Augustine, all the men's you mentioned yourself who maybe wouldn't believe in errancy, who do care deeply about the Bible and see it as authoritative still. Um, and I, th I think that's important to remember that inerrancy, not agreeing with inerrancy isn't saying the Bible isn't important. I think that's something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you mind just really quick, because we, we've said that a lot, but I'd, I'd rather show it if we if we could take a second to where is a part of, in the Bible that you can think of that kind of shows what you're talking about of it's hard to read the Bible itself and think inerrancy from this. Um. I think uh, probably one of my go-to passages are books, whole books. I mean, comparing the history of the monarchy, you're going to go with Samuel Kings, you're going to go with Chronicles, and they are not compatible. I mean, they overlap in places, but they they have such different theological themes and draw such different theological conclusions. And they tell the story so differently. It's not that Chronicles is, yeah, I agree with Samuel King, so I'm going to add a couple of things. It's he has a whole different vision for how even to place this. And if we miss that, we'll miss what they're doing, right? It's sort of like the Gospels, right? You, you can't cram them all together and to make them into one because then you miss the distinct theologies that the writers are intentionally trying to get across by Matthew making his changes to Mark, for example. You know, and 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 not just I have a different angle, but said I'm changing what's in this base text that I'm working off of. And to me, those are those are two good examples from either testament that that I think are really illustrative of why errancy and errancy is actually a superficial um attempt to gain biblical authority. I think the authority yeah. is actually in the struggling with the text. And again, I, I I've seized a lot of that from Jewish influences <laughs> that I've had, especially in graduate school and afterwards. So yeah. we've uh, talked about stuff. a couple of the church fathers, so you would call them theologians. Mm -hmm. uh, who is your least favorite theologian and why is it Thomas Aquinas? <laughs> I, I'm happy to say I don't understand Thomas Aquinas enough <laughs> to know whether I would like him or not like him. I find him to be very confusing and intellectual. Okay, stuff, good. But, um, <laughs> my... Oh gosh. Okay. Um I it's it's probably dangerous to say I I'm not keen on a guy whose last name is Martyr, as in Justin Martyr back in the second century, but you know, he um he's he's defending um how Jesus is like all over the Old Testament in ways that I think are very problematic historically and hermeneutically. Um Mm, of course, yeah. he was a martyr, so I gotta you know be careful about that. And I, I mean, I'm I'm kidding, but you know, um, people died for all sorts of religious reasons back then. And but I, to me, I, I just I come across and I say, oh come on, you know, yeah. And sometimes so Paul in Second Corinthians because he gets very whiny in Second Corinthians. Oh yeah, and it's just yeah. you know, Anakin Skywalker episode two kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
Do you think it'd be fair to call uh, Justin Martyr Justin uh, Midrash instead or interchangeable? Well, I, I think he was doing Midrash on – like his arguments are sort of like yeah. – is it obvious that this is Jesus? Who else could it be talking to? Talking about like, and Jews are like, dude, read the context for heaven's sake. Just, just read the context. <laughs> no, 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 it's Jesus. Got to be Jesus. And that is that's midrash, but without knowing that you're doing midrash. So yeah. he thinks he yeah. was doing historical <laughs> contextual exegesis. But I, of course, you know, people who know yeah. Justin no, Martyr are going to jump down my throat saying you don't understand. Like, <laughs> I understand him enough to say what I'm saying, but. He's, he's like anybody, a complex historical figure. We're getting snapshots of him living almost 2,000 years ago from writings that were left. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to like judge the whole man, but just from what I've read, it's like, man, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's just not helpful fair. to me. This is, so <laughs> how is it possible to have unity with other Christians we don't agree with about the Bible itself? Is this the foundation of for many of our beliefs – uh-huh. Uh, if this is the foundation for many of our beliefs, how could we move forward in unity without the same understanding of inerrancy as a starting point? Um, I think it's it's a hard thing to suggest because I think you have to be ready to do it. But I think it's to take a step back from uh, over over intellectualizing the nature of faith, and that again I think will sound dangerous to some people. But let me explain. Um, I think one of the one of the problems with the modern period, you know, starting with the Enlightenment, blah, 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 all that song and dance stuff, but starting with that, the nature of faith, the nature of the Christian religion and others has been subject to intellectual scrutiny. And in response, conservatives have defended their faith on the basis of intellectual scrutiny. And so you have the apologetics industry, right? And what happens there is that the, the faith gets collapsed into that kind of an intellectual argument. So do you believe in truth? Well, yeah, I do. I just don't know if I have it, right? And and that verse you just pointed me to doesn't help me. Here are the eight reasons why, right? <laughs> but the assumption is that it's about truth is something that we can attain intellectually through believing in inerrancy and other kinds of things like that, right? And I I find that to be, you know, deeply problematic and the way to i think what i think what is necessary at least on some level to bring some unity is for both let's say the liberal side and the fundamentalist side to not think of the intellectual categories of being the be all and end all of the reality of god <laughs> who's yeah. who's beyond words as far as I'm concerned. But again, I've just committed yeah. myself to a model that people on the hard right wouldn't agree with. Like what the words are in the Bible, that's what you need. But in practice, just I mean, I, I've known I, I know conservative people who actually do what I'm just talking about. They they don't let that get in the way of their relationships with family members or whatever, right? And and uh, to me, that's part of dying to yourself and not and not letting the ego take over and always run things. Um, so I, but that's, I think that is, it's hard for me. That's a very difficult thing to do because you're you're being told yeah. to lay down that thing that has actually been driving the faith engine for you and for your community. In other words, having the better mm-hmm. arguments and being right. I'm not saying arguments don't matter. I argue all the time. I don't think being right <laughs> is a wrong thing to go after. It's it's it's, it's good to have ideas yeah. and say this works and that doesn't. But at the end of the day, didn't Aquinas like on his deathbed say, 
oh, what a bunch of crap or some such thing like that. He said something, I think, <laughs> on his deathbed, and others have, you know, there are records of people saying something similar that it's all straw. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, what what is this all about? And it's not about fine-tuning everything we think. I'm trying to look up this, Thomas. Okay, after what I have experienced, all that is just straw. Yeah, ah, I was right. Okay. There you go. Wow. I was right. What a crack lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So then uh, I, I guess the, the next question is something we do on every show, not just this series. Just we always like to ask people um, if you had to give just a practical thing. And I, I think a lot of our conversation today is more people who think about these theological, maybe deeper things. But mm-hmm. what about this, this practical thing of just the casual churchgoer who maybe listen to this? What's something practical they could do that right now that would help engender unity in the church? Um, I, I think don't feel you have to defend yourself. You know, that's, I, I would say that, like, don't feel you have to defend yourself. Sometimes we do that thinking, I'm just defending the gospel. You're actually, you're defending what you think the gospel is and just not taking debate. Um, Brian McLaren, who I have a lot of respect for, um, put it this way. I heard him say this live uh, at a talk he gave a few years ago talking about the Thanksgiving table and arguing over theology or politics with relatives (laughs) who don't agree with you and people trying to bait him into an argument. And he simply responds and he says, hmm, that's interesting, but I think differently about that and just leave it at that, (laughs) right? So you're not not lying, right? You're not saying, oh, that's a great, I agree with you. You're not being noncommittal. You're just saying, "I, I just think differently on that. And if they want to pursue it, they can pursue it. But if, if you feel this is why you have to step outside of yourself and look at the whole situation objectively almost, <laughs> yeah. right? If they're trying to get you to bait you into an argument, try really hard to not do that. And the best place to practice that is social media, right? Mm-hmm. Because people are after you all the time for anything you say. You can say Jesus loves you and people will jump. Oh, you believe in he lived? How stupid are you? You know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it, there, there are plenty of places to practice that kind of unity. Yeah. So, yeah. so the practical action is a download X formerly known as Twitter, and just scroll through and see how long you can go without uh, <laughs> responding to anything. Or TikTok, yeah. I think, is worse now. So, uh, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah, perfect. It gets rough. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's context work. If we abandon that defensive posture, what do you think would see change in the world? Maybe Christians would be known for the good they can do in the world and not just forcing certain opinions on everybody else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That'd be great. I, that's pretty simple. It, it, it does. It does come up a lot where someone just makes a statement and then immediately someone reads it and is extremely defensive about it, and that turns into an issue. Uh huh. I see right. it all the time. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Put a lot of time online. Yes, me too. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, it's the podcast game, basically. Yeah. So, uh, God moment. Before we wrap up, we just like to ask everyone to share a moment where they saw God recently, whether that be a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, <laughs> curse, uh, whatever it may be. I always make Josh go first to give us plenty of time to think. So the more you do this, the more I'm afraid that uh, one day I'm going to know what you mean by curse. And that's what I'm going to have to share. So and how many, I'd rather you stop mentioning and how many God moments can one person have anyway? You know? mm. yeah. You'd be amazed. <laughs> I think for me, I, I can say for me, I just answer very simply. It's um, <laughs> just having this gnawing sense inside of me for, to seek more simplicity. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means. Um, it might be spending less time on my phone. It might mean taking walks. No. It might mean not um, having these 
tyrannical to-do lists every day so I can feel good about myself because I got stuff done. You know, um, that's, that's probably, no, that's definitely the thing that is, that's a God moment for me because it, it comes from deep, deep. It's not an invasion from the outside. It's not, I didn't see a light someplace, but it's coming, you know, in, two, in contemplative fashion, it's coming from deep inside of you and it surfaces and you see it and it's as clear as a bell. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's a lot more profound than I think are, are probably. <laughs> well, I'm older. I've screwed up more than either of you too. So I've got, I, I've learned a lot already. So um, mine, I'm, I'm, I have to do slight backstory stuff for it. Um, have, having done a little bit of work, not, church adjacent different things like that companies that are ran by church or mm -hmm. you know whatever i had been disillusioned to what i grew up with like come of the conservative theology of one of your best evangelist things is to be the best business ever to work better than everybody else all that kind of stuff and realize oh that's actually just not what christians do and then kind of coming to this whole maybe constantly telling people about jesus isn't what the bible's actually asking of me yeah. and i think i took that too far to the extent that i wasn't trying to be a light at all <laughs> So mm -hmm. like recently um, in my job, I have kind of taken to more of the fruit of the spirit and not, you know, not I'm going to work harder than everyone's going to want to be like me and more. Mm -hmm. How am I actually adding to the people's lives that have to daily mm -hmm. spend time with me? And uh, yeah, that's a challenge. I've been wrestling with that. Be kinder, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, my God moment uh, today is my mom's birthday. Uh, blessed to see it. It was a hard one Happy to get birthday, to. Don. Yeah. On the day of recording, at least it's it's her birthday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you hear this late and you're like, "Oh no, I missed it," yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but uh, blessed for you know today to get here because it, it was a hard one, especially this past year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, man, these were three like good God moments. I feel like at, at least usually at least one person's God moment is asked for a small soda and got a large soda. You know. I think we have three solid ones this time. <laughs> hey, God is in the large things. Uh, Although, uh, oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So please consider sharing this episode with a friend, uh, an enemy, a cousin. Uh, we love our cousins. Share with your cousins. And uh, if you're listening on the AMP Network YouTube channel, be sure to hit like and subscribe. That is extremely helpful. Boost the algorithm. Get in the comments. Tell us how much you hate us. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Always open. Yeah, that, that's what we want. In, in unity, in Christian unity. In unity. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's a few comments that I need to respond to. I'm not doing a good job, guys. Reach out to me. Tell me to respond to your comments better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, check out the other shows on the Amazon Ministry Podcast Network. You know, TJ and I are both on Systematic Ecology. I have kind of taken a slight hiatus from Dummy for Theology, but I will be starting those that back up soon as well. So uh, yeah, go check out our other shows. Yeah, and we hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we will have Father Jonathan Resmini and Pastor Will Rose on to discuss whether we can have unity while disagreeing over the canon of Scripture. After that, Brandon Knight and Christian Ashley will join us to discuss how we can have unity whilst disagreeing over eschatology. And finally, at the end of Season 1, Francis Chan will be on the show. He doesn't know that, though, so yeah. someone's got to tell him. I'm going to have a really yeah. long Season 1. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. We we don't even ask him anymore because I'm like, yeah, I could talk to Pete Enns. Why do I need Francis We just have to keep this at the end of the show because that's the bit, you know? Yeah. We got to stay committed. <laughs>
Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.